I'll be reading the message this morning before the lesson. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles and join with me, turn to Daniel number 3. Daniel number 3, and I'll be beginning in verse 8. I'll be reading for the King James Version. Wherefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackput, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. These are certain Jews, or excuse me, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of providence of Babylon, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, or dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not... You shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Well, I don't know how scriptural it is not to have a song before the sermon. See, that threw me off a little bit there. I'm glad that Greg knew what he was doing. The account of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah is one of the favored studies in the Bible, especially by young people. They get to read about the fiery furnace and the things that happened there, and and it is a an account of brave people doing brave things. And I think it is special because it encourages us and teaches us that taking a stand for God is always to our benefit in the end. Now these three young boys were just that when they were captured by Babylon and taken into the captivity of slavery in Babylon. As they were taken to Babylon, the the people there tried to force them to assimilate along with any other captives they may have gotten along the way into that culture. Now one way they did this was by taking away their Jewish names and giving them names that corresponded in some way to the Babylonian religious figures they worshipped. 
Now the names Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah held special meaning to these three young men. In fact, they spoke to the God who they believed in. And that's what their names meant. Let's, let's look and understand exactly what their names did mean. Daniel's name meant, or does mean, God is my judge. His Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, means Bel is my judge. Bel, of course, being one of the gods of Babylon. Hananiah's name means God is gracious. His Babylonian name means, uh, his Babylonian name Shadrach means illuminated sun god. Mishael's name means who is like God. His Babylonian name, Meshach, means who is like Venus. Azariah's name means the Lord is my helper. His Babylonian name, Abednego, means worshiper of Nego. Nego or Nebo was the Babylonian god of wisdom. So to cause them to assimilate, they tried to strip from them their culture and their belief system. But another way they tried to cause that assimilation into their culture was to force them to adopt the diet of Babylon. Of course, adopting the diet of Babylon meant they would have been eating foods that were condemned and and forbidden under the law of Moses. And to prevent that from happening, David spoke with the, the prince of the eunuchs. And God brought favor to Daniel in the eyes of this prince of the eunuchs. So he convinced him to allow himself and those three young men to take a vegetarian diet for ten days. And at the close of ten days, they were shown to be much healthier and and uh, in better shape physically than those who had imbibed into the rich diet of the Babylonians. In fact, when Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were taken before the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he found them to be ten times greater than the wise men and the astrologers in his kingdom. Daniel 1, verse 20. Of course, as time passed, these four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were promoted to places of authority within the kingdom. And because of divine wisdom, we learn about how Daniel was able to interpret a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And, and that was at the point when these men were placed into these positions of prominence and authority. And Nebuchadnezzar recognized their great wisdom. We see that Daniel 2, 48 through 49. And of course, that brings us up to our text. Though these men were placed in positions of authority and prominence, they still found themselves at a crossroads in life. They discovered that they were about to have to choose between life and death. And it all was based upon their obedience to the God of heaven and earth. Now, those men chose to stand on faith. That's the title of the sermon this morning. They stood on faith. And because they stood on faith, those three men were cast into a fiery furnace. But even then, they stood. This morning, I want us to look into the truths of this passage for a few moments. And I believe it demonstrates to us what faithful believers of God throughout history have done. Whether they lived under the patriarchal dispensation, the law of Moses, or now in the Christian dispensation. 
Faithful followers of God stand on faith, even when they're faced with temptation and trials that come along in this life. Even when they are tempted to compromise and deny the God of heaven, they did not do that and they do not do that. And I want us to begin this morning with the persecution that these men faced. Those three faithful men were persecuted because of their standards. That's a big word, standards. It means a lot. If one does not have standards, in essence, they really don't have anything. And the king's anger was directed at Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah because of those standards. Yet they stood up under the pressure. Those standards, in fact, made them different from everyone else in Babylon, didn't it? But that's what God's standards do. They make us different. Nebuchadnezzar had this great and terrible image produced. This image was probably about 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide. Now some have suggested that it was the image of one of their favored gods, but in reality it was more likely that it was an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. And so having made this great and terrible image, he declared to everyone around, when they play certain instruments, you were to stop what you were doing and you were to fall down and worship that terrible image. Now, that made them stand out. But we're supposed to stand out, aren't we, as followers of God. Now, we live in a Christian dispensation. And we've been living in the Christian dispensation the last days, Acts chapter 2, since the day of Pentecost, for about 2,000 years. Now, all who are saved are expected to stand on standards that are wholly apart and different from those who are not Christians, those who do not obey God, and those who do not obey the gospel of His Son, Christ Jesus. We see that in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, and first or 2 Thessalonians 1.8. I want us to notice also exactly what Paul demanded from those in Colossae. Notice Colossians 3 verse 12 with me. Paul said, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness in mind, meekness and long-suffering, because... You've chosen to be the elect of God. You've obeyed the gospel. You've become Christians. Put on that which is holy and beloved. Put on bowels of mercy or affection of mercy. Put on kindness. Be humble, meek, and long-suffering. Now, someone looks at this and they might suggest, well, these three men were not being humble before the the king of Babylon, because they spoke very straight with him, didn't they? There was no confusion on where they stood when it came to bowing down or standing up. Now notice again what they told the king, Daniel 3, verse 16. O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. There is no need to answer you in this matter, O king. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, 
nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They were in fact being humble when they addressed the king. They addressed him as O king. That was a show of respect for secular authority. But being respectful to God and following God's commandments more so than any earthly persons, they said, Hear us now, O king. We're not going to bow down before the golden image. We're not going to worship your gods. Our God can deliver us from the fiery furnace if He chooses, but He will deliver us one way or the other. And they will not bow down. They were not rude nor disrespectful. They were simply honest in their statements. They weren't going to bow down publicly. They weren't going to compromise and bow down privately. They simply were going to stand upon their standards. And those men of faith endured persecution because of those standards on which they would stand and did stand. Now, that is the difference between the faithful and the unfaithful, isn't it? They were willing to suffer. They were willing to give their lives for God no matter the cost. And they did stand. One may have standards and yet not abide by them, right? We may believe in a standard. That doesn't mean we follow the standards, right? We may agree that God has put forth standards. That doesn't mean we're going to stand on them. These men stood on them. They stood on their standards and they were persecuted for it. I think there are multitudes of people in the world who claim the name of Jesus Christ, claim to be Christians, yet they do not stand upon His standards that He has established for all people to follow. I think true believers will shoulder that responsibility. They will shoulder the responsibility of Christianity and stand on the faith of Jesus. He expects that, doesn't He? He expects that and He expects nothing less. Jesus told the disciples, Matthew 16, 24, He said, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. Someone says, well, those men weren't denying themselves. They were denying King Nebuchadnezzar. No, they were denying themselves, which led them to deny King Nebuchadnezzar's invitation to worship his God. It is an innate desire that people have, and it's called self-preservation, isn't it? We don't want to be harmed. We don't want to be hurt. We want to run away from danger if at all possible. But even if we're not able to run away, we still want to preserve ourselves. And that's known in in the psychology world as flight or fight, right? You either flee or you fight because you want to protect yourself. Those men wanted to protect themselves. They didn't wake up that morning and decide, boy, we get to go to the fiery furnace today. No, they were denying their natural urge to compromise and save their lives. Paul demanded this, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. He said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. They were abounding in the work of God. They refused to bow down to an idol God. Those who are not steadfast in their obedience, Jesus said they're not fit 
for the kingdom of God, Luke 9, 62. Those are the words of Jesus. We need to be fit for the kingdom of God. I think it's very important also for Christians to understand this. If we're going to live for Jesus in this world, we have to be His alone. We can't belong a little bit to Jesus and a little bit to the world. Jesus addressed that specifically, Matthew 6, verse 24. He said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. You cannot serve God in the physical world. You cannot give in to your desires. You have to deny self. And that's what these three young men did. They denied their natural urges to protect their own lives and they stood on the standards God had established. If we refuse ungodly influence in this life, listen, we're going to be persecuted for that. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. For the Christian, there are going to be furnaces of criticism, aren't there? There are going to be furnaces of intimidation, furnaces of hatred, furnaces of temptation, furnaces of trials. Trials sometimes we can hardly imagine. I've visited with people throughout the world and I've seen some of the things that they've had to endure. We don't have to endure anything like they do. Those brethren in the, in the eastern nations, they have to endure threats from the government, threats from the people. If they stand up and stand on the standards of God, they are placing themselves in harm's way physically. Yet they deny themselves and they serve God. You know, those furnaces of which we speak, they're just going to grow hotter and more frequent as our society drifts further and further and further away from God. But we still have to stand up in the face of them. But like those three young men who were threatened with death, we can expect protection from God. That's our second point. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they got on the wrong side of a pagan king, didn't they? They got on his bad side, but they were protected by a present God. God didn't leave them in their despair. And having angered the king, he had the men bound, he had the furnace heated to seven times its normal heat. In fact, it was so hot that those men that bound them and carried them to the furnace, died from the heat. Now I want us to understand exactly how this furnace was set up, and what it looks like. When when we think of a furnace, I think maybe we think of a, a fireplace type thing, where you open the door and you, you go into the side. That's not how this furnace was operated. This furnace was made out of some sort of a clay. And what it was, it it had a huge bottom to it and it was built at the side of a cliff there was an entrance where you could go in and put the materials of which you would burn and it had a huge chimney that came up from the top and it was from there that the people were put in now we can understand how the heat's rising the guards are bringing the bound men and they throw them into the furnace and all that heat's coming up through that chimney well that's what happened they bound them they cast them into the to the fiery furnace, and it is there that they discovered they were not alone. In fact, they were walking around, weren't they? 
The bonds with which they were bound were burned off. They were free. They weren't uh, being tormented in the flame. They were being protected. And of course, hoping to see the demise of those who would dare disobey the king, Nebuchadnezzar was waiting for the show. Of course, in his mind, the show wasn't going to last very long. They were going to be burned up and burned alive. But he couldn't believe what he was seeing. You recall the text. He said, didn't we throw three men bound into the uh, the furnace? His counselor said, O king, true, they had. Daniel 3, verse 25. Then he said in verse 36, he said, I see four men. I see four men walking around in that fire. They have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That was the second person of the Godhood. And he was in the fire with them. He was present. He was there. Now, Christians today cannot expect the miraculous when we find ourselves in situations that we we do not desire. 1 Corinthians 13, the miraculous is gone. It served its purpose. But we can still be assured that Jesus will stand with us when we endure the furnace of trials in this life. He made that promise. Matthew 28, verse 20, He said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, even unto the end of the age of Christianity, when this world will be destroyed. He will remain with us. The writer of Hebrews said, Hebrews 13, 5, He said, Let your conversation be without covetous, and be content with such things as you have. For He saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Don't live in this life and covet anything. Don't live in this life, and that stands for sin of any kind. Don't live in this life in a sinful way because Jesus promised He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Don't begin to feel like you're alone in this world and it doesn't matter and you can't make it. And then you might as well just do whatever you want to do because Jesus is here with us. He said He's going to be here. That means we live godly lives even in the face of trouble. And Jesus will comfort us just as He comforted those three young men. He was in the fire with them. Don't you know that that He comforted them and He said things are going to be okay? Your faith has saved you. Again, we're not going to receive a miracle from God, but Jesus is with us when we are in sadness when we are in hurt, when things are not going well in this life, He is right there with us. And He proved that because He died on the cross. He suffered way more than we've ever suffered or ever will suffer. He is with us and He stands with us. Notice what Paul told Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 16. He said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, Jesus delivered Paul physically from being torn to pieces by lions, but He did not deliver him from the other persecutions in this life. He still had a mission for Paul. Paul still had work to do. 
But his work did come to an end, and he was martyred, murdered, for the cause of Christ. Jesus will be with us as we suffer in this life. One might say, well, I would do the same things if I knew Jesus was going to save me. If I knew He was going to save me from being thrown to the lions or threw me in the lions like the lion den, like Daniel was, and if He was going to save me, why, I'd stand up and be faithful. Those men didn't know what God was going to do. He, they said, if He chooses, He will save us. But He'll deliver us anyway. But no matter, we will not bow down. We will not worship this God of yours. And we have that same promise. We are protected by a present God. And in the end, we will receive the reward if we've been found faithful. Matthew 25, 21. They were protected by a present God and a powerful God. God can do all things. Notice what happened to them when they came out of that furnace. Nebuchadnezzar inspected those men. He went over to them. Their hair was not scorched. There was no ash on them. And they didn't even smell like smoke. You can't even sit around a campfire without smelling like smoke, can you? They were in the fire, and it was a lot bigger one. God is powerful, and He has the ability to do powerful things. He works in the lives of the faithful through what I believe is special providence, Matthew six thirty three. He works in the lives of all people through general providence, Matthew five forty five. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. But He definitely works in the lives of Christians, not miraculously, We don't know how He does it, but He does that through providence. He is so powerful, in fact, He can save the world from sin if the people allow it. He can take away sin. But that's the whole purpose of the gospel, isn't it? It's the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1, 16. It is the means by which we can all stand justified in the presence of God. When we understand and we look at this idea of being able to please God, He's laid it out for us, a very simple plan. He talks about faith. We read about that throughout the Bible. These men had faith, didn't they? They had faith, whether or not God saved them physically, that He would deliver them in the end. They believed in Him. They stood on those principles. We have to have faith that Jesus is who He said He was. John eight twenty four. We have to believe in Him as the Son of God. We make that confession prior to baptism, don't we? Acts 8, verse 37. Belief brings us to repentance. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then we make that good confession. Then we go down into the water, and we're buried with Him in baptism, Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. It is at that point that we contact His blood, that same passage, We're washed free from the sins of this life. We come up, Paul said, walk in a new life. He told those in Galatia that we're buried with him in baptism. We're baptized into his body, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And then what we have is exactly what we're reading about here in Daniel chapter 3. Those men lived under the law of Moses. They weren't Christians. Christianity hadn't been established, but they still had to be faithful. And that's what the Christian does. Once he comes up out of that water, walking in that new path, he remains faithful. 
That's what Paul said he had done, 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. He said, I fought a good fight, I kept the faith. Now I know there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, not for me only, but for all those who love His appearing, all those who look forward to His return. God will protect His people from sin. He'll protect us from sin if we allow it. He will always, Paul said, give us an avenue of escape. But He can protect us because He is present and He is powerful. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah learned that, didn't they? They were persecuted, they were protected, and after it was over, they received promotion. That's our third and last point. A pagan king praised the God of heaven as the only true God. Everyone in this account, I believe, went away with a better understanding of what God is and who God is and what He can do. I think everybody, I think it enlightened to those three men who had this great faith to go to their death, but even then they learned exactly what God can do. Those three Hebrews, they didn't know whether or not God would save them physically, but again, they trusted in Him, and they knew they would be saved spiritually. We don't know the mind of God, but it seems to me that He saved those three men so He could softened the hardened heart of a pagan king. Now it took another event that's recorded for us in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, but I believe he became a believer in God. I think he came to understand what God expects from people. We never know the way we will handle adversity, do we? We never know how adversity will affect us in this life. But it doesn't matter whether adversity comes or not, because it's going to come. It all matters on how we answer it. How do we answer adversity? These three men did it through faith. And because they did that, they were preferred by God. God's people are always preferred. They are preferred by Him. That doesn't mean that He doesn't love everyone in the world. But He has set aside a group of people, the elect, who choose to be a part of that group through obeying the gospel plan of salvation, and he prefers those people. Anybody can be a part of that group of people. I think that's a lesson for us. God never uses anyone in this life for great things until they first face the furnace of life. Notice some things that's happened. You cannot stand on Mount Carmel until you've sat by a dry brook. You cannot lead the nation of Israel until you've watched someone else's sheep in the wilderness. I think that truth in life is seen in, in, in no greater example than in the life of Gideon, Judges uh, chapter 6 through 8. Gideon was a general of an army of 32,000 men. He lost 22,000 because he was afraid. He became the captain of an army of 10,000 people. God rejected 9,700 of those and he became the sergeant of an army of 300 people. In fact, he heard the enemy refer to him as if he were a cake of barley. Now we might say, he's like a dog biscuit. What's he going to do? You know what God did? God took the dog biscuit and he defeated a much greater army. Because of Gideon's great faith. 
trials of this life cannot hurt us in our relationship with God if we understand their purpose. James said this, James 1 verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Not because of the the trial and the temptation, but because of the way the temptation is faced. That's why we receive the crown of life. The temptation is faced by the Christian standing on God's principles, standing on God's standards. And that's why these three Hebrews stood on faith and they were blessed. They kept their faith where it belonged, didn't they? In God. They did not compromise. They did not give in to a world of sinfulness. They did not yield to fear. They did not give in to the honor of a pagan king. They did not fail. They did not falter or even stumble when it came to making that decision. What are you going to do? I think maybe that's a question we all ought to ask. What am I going to do? Am I going to stand on the faith of God or am I going to give in? If we stand for Him, He will stand beside us. And He will be with us always. That's why it's worth living for Christ. That's why He's asked us to do that. It brings us into the proper relationship with Him. It's certainly worth it here. And it will definitely be worth it there. If you need help in standing on the faith of God this morning, if you've never obeyed the gospel, do that. If you've left the faith and you need to come back, we can help with that as well. Through repentance and confession, we'll pray with you and for you. And God will forgive you. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.